Hello, and thank you for listening to True Crime Cam. This week's episode is going to be a collection of r slash let's not meet stories, and I just wanted to say I'm sorry about skipping last week. I moved across the country with two cats, and it was about a three-day drive, and I thought I would have the energy to make another episode, but I was very wrong. That trip wore me out, but I'm back. I'm settled into the new place and slowly getting the hang of being in a new space and new state, but so far it's been really great and I definitely love this place a lot more than my last apartment, so anyways, let's just jump right into it. This first r slash let's not meet story is titled Crazy Beauty Queen Stalker. This is a long story as it's been over five years in the making. I've actually posted this story before, but there are some really good internet sleuths here on Reddit, and they were able to figure out ex-beauty queen's identity, and mine too. I don't really care if I give up my identity, but didn't want it to be on my actual account, so I deleted it a while back. The catalyst for me to repost it today on a throwaway is that it's cathartic. Last week, yet another court date for ex-beauty queen's stalker came and went. We'd been expecting things to proceed with her entering a plea of guilty or not guilty, but no such luck. All we got was another vague reason as to why she's not ready and a new court date issued, months from now. There have been many court dates since she has been arrested. It's been over 18 months since she'd been arrested for her continued stalking and harassment, and she still wants to drag things on to seemingly try and stay relevant in our lives. As an aside, the amount of court resources and taxpayers' money that's wasted is actually really astounding. Anyway, on to the story. To recap, my husband dated a beauty queen title holder of a well-known pageant before me. They broke up long before we met. She was a statuesque blonde, very tall, a knockout in her day, in my opinion. This is somewhat important to the story, I guess. While she was a dazzling pageant winner on the outside, on the inside, oh boy. She could be charming and beautiful if she needed you, but mostly, she treated people around her terribly, including my husband, and he eventually broke it off with her. But she never went away. She would continue to call and email repeatedly, even after my husband and I met. If anything, her calls increased. She would call over and over again, day and night, even after my husband, then boyfriend, blocked her number. She would ask for money and threaten to go to the police claiming he abused her if he didn't give it to her. He obviously did not give her money. This made her very upset. The threats increased and became more malicious. But when that didn't work, she would switch tactics and try and sweetly ask him for help with certain projects she was trying to get off the ground, or more accurately, have him do the work for her and she take the credit, with the promise that, quote, if he did just this one last thing for her, she would go away. He did not reply. So she would go back to being malicious. Any tactic for attention or for what she really wanted. Money. My husband was terrified. Because of course, while he never did anything to her, it would be her word over his, and he was terrified of ruining his reputation and career. We unfortunately ended up in an event she also attended. She had been waiting for us to arrive and had placed herself near the entrance of the event. As we walked in, she stood across the room looking me up and down, laughing and whispering in the ear of her date, making a point to try and make me uncomfortable. But that was okay, she was easily ignored until she ambushed me as I came out of the bathroom. She had clearly been waiting for a moment I was alone. She towered over me. She is very tall. 
I had no intention of having it out with her, as I hurriedly walked to find my husband, but she kept pace beside me, hunched over, so she was at my eye level. Her head turned towards me. I'm 5'5". She was like a caricature of herself as she ambled beside me, smiling manically. Where is your man? She hissed in her heavy accent. Her eyes were black. She looked like she was out of a Tim Burton movie, hunched over with that crazy demonic smile. Watch your back, pug, she added, grinning. She liked to call me names like pug because I own pugs and I guess she thought this was an insult. What I didn't know then was while I was in the bathroom, she had walked over to my husband and had thrown her arm around him while he was in mid-conversation with someone and introduced herself to the man he was talking to as if she and my husband were together. My husband unwrapped himself from her clutches and told her to beat it. She then beelined and waited for me to come out of the washroom. We stopped going to the parties. The last time we ran into her was at a funeral for a mutual friend. She followed me around at the wake. As my husband, boyfriend at the time, was talking to the man's widow, I was talking to a friend and his wife. She walked right up and stood with us, joining us mid-conversation, as if she was part of the group. It was unnerving, but also just bizarre. It was a funeral, and I did not want a scene. I silently picked up my wine glass off the bar and walked away, leaving her with the couple I had been speaking to, and her staring at me with a smirk on her face. All in all, annoying but manageable. However, the emails, calls, never stopped. She would call my husband over and over, day and night, even though he had long blocked her number. She would drive by. I found my car keyed one night after I left it outside, but obviously I couldn't prove it was her. But enough was enough. My husband had a lawyer send a cease and desist. After the first, she called him from a private number. He answered and she said, Hi, it's me, in a sing-song voice like they were best friends, and he hadn't just sent her a lawyer's letter ordering her to stay away from him and his family. He said nothing and hung up. Another cease and desist was sent, then a third. Nothing would make her go away. She did not actually think my husband was capable of not wanting to be with her, because you know, her beauty. Eventually, though, she got pissed that he was not giving in. So, she decided to take this rage to the internet. I knew that she was absolutely checking out my social media, but I don't really use it, so I don't care. However, she created a fake Twitter account and tweeted, husband's name is a fraud, and tagged his colleagues, friends, investors, family members, every single person she could think of to try and ruin his reputation and career. On New Year's Eve, she commented on my Instagram account at exactly 12.01 a.m. Happy New Year, scrud. Social media settings were all put to private. We went to the police armed with the emails threatening to give her money or she would go to the police. She was charged with two counts of harassment, and a restraining order was put into place. To our shock, the next day after her arrest, our phones were buzzing. The story had made front-page news. Clearly a slow news day. Her day in court came, right before COVID. We arrived to the courthouse and sat down. She walked in. We were shocked by her appearance. Actually, shocked is an understatement. She was unrecognizable from her former self. Gone was the statuesque, dazzling blonde. She had apparently shaved her head and was wearing a short, ratty brown wig. She had gained about 80 pounds, give or take, and was now sort of hunched. With her height and new girth, she looked like a linebacker. To add to her new look, she wore a bulky brown men's overcoat and a scarf tied over her wig, like a babushka. My immediate thought was, her outside now matches her inside, but it was her eyes that I noticed the most. 
About a year earlier, we had shown a photo of her to our kids so that if she ever approached them, they knew to run. At that time, my son, who was young, commented that she had mean eyes, from the mouth of babes. Maybe it was that she had changed so much physically overall, but her dark eyes had narrowed into deep, black slits. As she scanned the courtroom and saw us in court, she would turn around every so often to look back at us and glare. She would then whisper in her lawyer's ear and laugh as if she were having a grand time. She had a pair of big, round, cheap sunglasses that she would put on and take off intermittently. When she addressed the judge, she put them on, and he asked her to remove them. We thought she was putting on a brave face and treating it all like a joke, but we were about to find out that getting arrested wouldn't slow her down. The restraining order didn't seem to faze her at all. If anything, it angered her more. From then on, every day, night and day, she would post from multiple fake social media accounts, posting photos of myself, of my husband. She would put up my husband's photo with the caption, pedophile, or other terrible names that included racist and transphobic comments and captions. To give you a slight idea, she posted altered pictures of my husband, photoshopped to look like he was wearing heavy makeup, and referring to him as a pre-op transgender. She posted altered and unflattering photos of myself. She called me old, ugly. Those are the G-rated ones. Listen, I am no beauty queen myself. The name-calling, while obsessive and gross, wasn't what bothered me most. Although I'm not going to lie, seeing hundreds of photos of myself on her fake Twitter account, calling me ugly and obsessive, pointing out every single perceived flaw did succeed in getting me down at times. Why did I keep looking? Because it was like getting a glimpse into her unraveling-slash-unraveled mind, just in case it was a clue of what she was capable or thinking of doing next. Because it wasn't her insulting posts that fazed me. What bothered me most were the sinister captions. Quote, keep an eye on your kids because I be watching. Or quote, why don't you plant some flowers in your front yard? Or quote, be good to your kids because you never know what could happen. Quote, how is your Uber Eats order? She would post pictures of me with an arrow directed to my head, which I perceived to be a gun to my head. She posted pictures of my husband's workplace, which she was not allowed to be within two blocks of, in accordance to the restraining order, but the police said this could just be a picture she took from the internet. She posted Agatha Christie quotes like, Every killer is usually someone you know well, or Your end is near. Her Twitter profile banner picture was taken from a movie poster and said, Stalker like she was in on the joke. We called the police again, but they said there wasn't anything they could do since she didn't explicitly tag us. I took screenshots of everything. Many of her posts were nonsensical, but most were photos of us on this fake account, all altered with derogatory or ominous captions, but we couldn't get her to shut down. I became anxious anytime my kids were outside shooting hoops in the driveway. My elderly mother wouldn't take the baby out in the stroller. She was too scared. It affected all of our lives. Life became dramatic. Ex-beauty queen would taunt us with, Catch me if you can. She posted a close-up of her dog's genitals, or a piece of her dog's shit with my name beside it. The implication obvious. It bothered me she now had a dog since I didn't think someone like her was capable of caring for anything living. Then the calls started back up, this time to our home line. Yes, we still have a home phone, lol. Quote, bitch, and then a hang-up. Quote, karma will get you, and then weird chant-like calls, as if she were reciting a spell. She posted photos of a pentagram and candles, as some sort of altar, and the caption, ring, ring. 
Finally, finally, the police asked us to come in and give video statements. We gave them a drive containing thousands of screenshots of posts she had made. They arrested her again and charged her with two more counts of criminal harassment. My husband was angry at this point, but as a mama bear, I just wanted to get this over with. She mentioned the kids frequently and ominously many times in her online rants, also calling them rude names, which I won't repeat here, because these are the things that upset me most. The judge also issued a social media ban for her. By the time she was rearrested for the second time, her fake Twitter account, which was literally mostly insults or references to my family, had 16,000 tweets in a three-month period. She has no followers, so they were just to herself. The porn sites I had been continuously being tagged on stopped. Things quieted down tremendously, but I still get follower requests that I believe are her. But at this point, we were all on edge. I kid you not, I felt weird walking into my kitchen at night to make a sandwich, feeling creeped out that she was outside watching. I put nothing past her, as nothing is more dangerous than a desperate woman who has nothing to lose, which, by the way, was one of the quotes she posted. I don't know what is wrong with her. I believe, from what I've researched, she is a malignant narcissist. Perhaps some other mental health issues at play here, but I can say she was a terrible person long before she decided to try and make our lives miserable. Crazy beauty queen turned stalker, I would love nothing more than to never meet again, but if going to court helps you stay away from us forever, then bring it. As an aside, I want to mention that we heard from a reliable source that after my husband broke up with her, she allegedly became known to police for other reasons. While my husband dodged a bullet regarding her threats to go to police saying he abused her, apparently other men have not been so lucky. Since I can't post pictures, I'll leave you with one of her posts. One that may not make much sense, but to us, it was a statement to let us know she enjoys this drawn-out court process. Many of her posts are in her native language, so this is translated. Quote, Violent women, and the cruelest, never answer questions. They like to continue the misunderstanding indefinitely. So I seek to contact people only in order to torment them. My cruelty is my last attachment to the world, and my last chic. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so I found the woman, the stalker, the beauty queen that this person was talking about. I'm not going to say the people's names who were being harassed, but I will say the beauty queen's name. And I'm just going to read a little bit of this article from the Toronto Sun, published by Sam Pisano on January 13th, 2020. It's titled, Former Beauty Queen Charged with Harassing Former Lover, Wife. A former Miss Universe Canada winner was charged with criminally harassing her ex-lover, an ex-Blue Jays prospect, and his wife for several years. I'm probably going to pronounce her name wrong. Alina Simakina, 36, was released Sunday from Old City Hall Bail Court on two counts of alleged harassment against blank and blank between November 6, 2015 and January 9, 2020. Police allege that Simakina threatened to ruin the victim's life or kill him. She was freed with no financial obligations but under conditions to stay away from the alleged victims and banned from communicating in any way with them. 
and it said she'll be back in court on February 21st. So the husband in this situation, the victim, he and this beauty queen apparently dated for roughly a year and he works in the film industry and she requested that he include her in the Toronto International Film Festival events or she was going to accuse him of false allegations like abuse, like the Reddit post said. And apparently in January or February of 2015, Simakina threatened to kill him. Okay, apparently Miss Elena Simakina has her own Wikipedia page. She was born in September of 1983. She is a Russian-Canadian actress, executive producer, and beauty pageant title holder. She was crowned Miss Universe Canada 2010 in Toronto, Ontario on June 14th, 2010. And the Wikipedia page goes on to talk about the charges against her and says the case is still ongoing. So there hasn't been any updates since then, and this Reddit story was posted a year ago and verified. So this is the victim in the situation posting the full story. Wow, that story was crazy and I didn't think it was actually real, but there's articles about the court case and everything, and this is a real person, a real beauty queen, stalking people for no reason. Okay, this next story is titled, I was nearly a victim. Okay, so this may not be as scary as some, but it really creeped me out when I realized what could have happened. So, when I was 11 years old, I lived in a house surrounded by a complex for the elderly. My family was the only residents with children, myself and my three brothers. I'm a girl, by the way. So, in this particular complex, there was a guy that would come and always help out the old people, taking their bins out, doing shopping, etc. He would always talk to us as we played outside. The windows of the complex would face directly to our house so he could look and see us playing often. Most days he would just wave and say hi. We always saw him so we didn't think much of it. One day he decided to come over and speak to us about what we were doing, what games we liked, just general stuff. But whenever my mom came out he would always say his goodbyes and scuttle back into the complex. We would often catch him staring at us through the top windows. That particular day, not long after my mom had gone back inside, he came back. I remember the feeling I got and I couldn't quite pinpoint it. I was the eldest out of the group and the only girl. He started asking me about cameras and if I liked photography. I said yes, as I was always taking photos with a disposable camera my mom gave me. He kept saying he was a photographer for a catalog and he thought I would be great for it. He also mentioned he had just got a load of new bikinis in, and would I like to come and try them on for the catalog? I had never seen this guy with a camera, and he was always scruffy. He certainly didn't look like a polished professional. Now, although I was 11, I was pretty streetwise, and I had a bad feeling. He asked me to come over right away, and his place was a short walk away, so if I were to leave now, I would be back before it got dark. He was practically pulling me by the hand to go with him. I started to feel pretty scared at this point and began to make excuses, and I said I had to go ask my mom. I broke free and practically ran back home. When I told my mom what had happened, she disappeared for half an hour and came back, looking extremely angry and a bit shaken up. I never saw him again, and now that I'm older, I realize the danger I could have been in. God knows what could have happened to me if I actually went to his house. So creepy guy with the camera, let's not meet. Update on my angry mom response. So a lot of you have been asking what my mom actually did slash said, and I did eventually ask her what happened. She went off. It was a very heated discussion along the lines of, if you ever come near my daughter again, it won't be the police you have to deal with. It will be me and her father, and trust me, it won't be pretty. 
There were also some other few-choice words exchanged, and all he could do was cower and apologize. Go, Mama Bear. I was quite surprised, to be honest, as she is only little and doesn't have a violent bone in her body. Okay, this next one is called, I don't even think he lives here. Long time lurker, hoping I would never have a story to share. Unfortunately, two weeks ago, it started. In hindsight, I guess it started a long time ago. My now husband and I moved in together almost four years ago to a rather nice, albeit expensive, apartment complex in a sort of nice part of town. We are on the third floor with a large balcony that looks out onto the courtyard in which other apartments in the complex are located. Basically, you can see the other balconies and living rooms of other tenants and the open stairwells. A year went by without a hitch. My husband works at a bar, so he comes home late, while I usually make it home around 5. It is easy to get to any apartment doorway as the complex is large and open, with no security doors except the door to the apartment. It started in August of 2016. I would be home after work chilling and watching TV. Almost always around 9.30, I could hear someone come up the stairs. Things would be quiet and all of a sudden, loud, sharp knocks on my door. I did not move because it was startling, but eventually went to look at the peephole. There stood three people, all with black hoodies on, all seemingly staring at the peephole like they could see me. I did not answer the door, and after a while they left. Cue a few weeks later. Same time, but in this incident, footsteps and then loud, hard bangs on the door that sent my cat flying to hide. I sat, frozen, but said to myself, maybe police? I made it to the peephole once again, this time staring at one person. Dark hoodie, male, white, and very, very gaunt, with huge black eyes. Again, I did not answer the door and grabbed a kitchen knife that I kept by my side until my husband came home. This continued for weeks, and once when my husband was home, he proceeded to look out the peephole, saw the same man, and screamed for him to leave, and he did. We called maintenance and the police who both stated that they would do regular patrols, but nothing else, and suggested cameras. Everything stopped for a while, maybe six months, during the winter, which helped me be at ease because when all of this was happening, I was having a very hard time sleeping and stopped going out at night. However, I assume the same man started up again, except this time, the same large bangs on the door would happen, but when I would look out the peephole, no one was there. I then became horrified as I started to notice extinguished cigarette butts by the side of my door, like someone was standing and waiting. Again reported it. Security stepped up in the area, but I still did not feel safe. I was hoping it would just stop as I felt tortured in my own home, but as I realized two weeks ago, things could be much worse. At night to go to bed, I would have to cross our eating area, which was right in front of our giant glass sliding door that led out to our balcony. It was late at night, lights off in the apartment. As I walk by, I glance over and across the courtyard, I see the same man standing on the landing of the stairs across the way from the second to third floor, staring right at my balcony, just standing there unmoved, facing in the direction of me, the same man at my door. I went numb, heart racing, chilled to the bone. I know he couldn't have seen me because the lights were off, and the stairway had lights of its own, but I was still scared shitless. I called my husband, who rushed over, but the man had left. More reports to the front office. More promised security patrols. The same creepy dead-eyed man in the black hoodie continued to stand at the stairway landing, staring at my apartment. It has now been two weeks, and he does this every Friday. 
I am horrified and have been having awful nightmares about someone breaking in and strangling me in my sleep. So, creepy black-eyed man, please, let's not ever meet. I just want to thank everyone for your responses today. It's nice to know people care, especially because my apartment complex seemingly could care less. My husband has asked tonight and received a week off to be home, doing some freelance stuff to help. I have advice for someone else who may be dealing with this too. I got on next door after posting this story and asked if anyone would be willing to start up a kind of neighborhood watch of sorts in the complex. People were very sympathetic and we will be meeting on Sunday to get things started. I will keep this updated and I hope slash pray that this will stop or that I can get an image of him. Okay, this next one is called James in the Rain. I'm a 16 year old teen at the time bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and attending my first folk festival with a friend and her family. I'm a totally naive little white girl, completely smitten with the whole hippie thing, thinking I'm so evolved and edgy like everyone else here. Dancing, music, attractive people, and an unspoken-slash-assumed kindness, empathy, and trust amongst total strangers. Very anti-establishment, anti-individualistic mind frame, but also anti-stranger danger because... Love is everywhere and everyone is connected, and we are all valued and safe and blah blah blah, you know. I was separated from my friend at the time and walking to the festival from the campground. A tall, slim white man in a white robe approached me and started chatting me up. He was weird immediately, but it was a folk music festival. Weird is normal and normal is weird, and I am an impressionable young girl desperately seeking approval. He told me I was beautiful, asked me where I was from, and I told him a small town an hour away, didn't say the name. He told me he was from the States and that his name was James in the Rain and handed me his card. In the event that I'd be interested in attending another festival that he puts on in his own community, I took the card and carried on. The festival ends, and four days after I've been at home, I'm at work slicing meat in a deli. James in the Rain enters the store. He immediately noticed the wristband still on my wrist and says, you're the girl from the festival. He continues to talk to me, doesn't buy anything, and even follows me up to the cash register and talks to me about random things while I'm trying to serve other customers. At this point, I'm scared and creeped out and really just want him to leave. He wouldn't leave until I gave him a hug. I gave him a hug so he'd leave me alone. Later, I told my mom what had happened. She looked him up on Google, and turns out this guy is a part of some commune called Rainbow People, who recruit young women and brainwash them into leaving their families force them to cut off all ties with their world and join the community in the mountains. So the top comment on this post says, The rainbow people are crazy. I've met them a few times while camping in years past. Really nice people, but completely weird vibes. Hey, you want a hit of acid before I chop your head off? Kind of vibes. So the Wikipedia for this group is called the Rainbow Family, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it. The Rainbow Family of Living Light is a counterculture in existence since approximately 1970. It's a loose affiliation of individuals, some nomadic, generally asserting that it has no leader. They put on yearly primitive camping events on public land, known as Rainbow Gatherings. It says the Rainbow Family was created out of a Vortex One gathering at a state park in Oregon in 1970, and it was inspired in large by the first Woodstock Festival. It says the first official Rainbow Family gathering was held at the Strawberry Lake in Colorado in 1972. Attendees refer to one another as brother, sister, or the gender-neutral term sibling. Attendance is open to all interested parties, and decisions are reached through group meetings leading to some form of group consensus. 
that Hurons call the camp Rainbow Land and refer to the world outside of gatherings as Babylon. The exchange of money is frowned upon, and barter is stressed as an alternative. All rainbow gatherings are held with an open invitation to people of all walks of life and of all beliefs to share experiences, love, dance, music, food, learning, and to pray for world peace. The Rainbow family is best known for its large annual American gathering, Nationals or Annuals, which are held on the U.S. Forest Service and Bureau of Land Management land. And these U.S. annual gatherings usually attract between 8,000 to 20,000 participants. And it says Colorado law enforcement agencies and the U.S. Forest Service expect a month-long gathering in 2022 for the 50th anniversary of the first official gathering. And that was last year, so I wonder if that happened. This story also reminded me that I actually used to work with someone who at one point participated in this rainbow gathering. I didn't speak in much depth about the rainbow gathering with them, but from what I remember, they told me they just go out into the woods and live on the public land for free and barter and do whatever they want, have a good time. But one bad thing about holding these large, open, free-for-all gatherings is that sometimes it attracts seedier people that want to take advantage of that. And there's an article from 2014 by Vice that says, Herber City Police arrested a woman known by the Rainbows as Hitler, who was accused of stabbing a man at the gathering's encampment. Authorities are also investigating the death of a 39-year-old New Hampshire woman who was found lying outside at the camp last week. Over the weekend, law enforcement agents said they were called in to respond to a drug overdose at the camp and to reports that a group of Rainbows crashed a wedding on their way to the gathering. Quote, they just went into the reception and started taking the food. They weren't trying to blend in. And a U.S. Forest Service supervisor said, Of the problems that we've seen at the Rainbow Gathering, nudity is the least of our worries. The big concerns are drugs and violence. That definitely sounds like an interesting group. And if I find anything else that's super shady that is occurring with the Rainbow people, I might do an episode on it. Who knows? Thank you for listening. I'm going to end it there. And thank you so much to Corinne P., Jessica O., Alex, Tripping Balls Through History, Stephanie J., and Cryptic. Thank you so much for becoming Patreon members. If you want the extended version of this episode, there's an extra 17 minutes up on the Patreon. And I also recently posted a 20-minute episode about the murder of my great-great-grandfather. So if you're interested in any of that or you just want to support the show, it's $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash truecrimecam. Again, thank you all for listening and I hope you all have a good day, evening, or night. Goodbye.